Well, hello there, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. You are listening to the Joe Cunningham Show every day, 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, it is kind of murky looking outside, although I'm only seeing a few small blotches on the radar, nothing big. Uh, and nothing that looks like it's going to be the downpour that we saw last night uh, in certain parts of the parish. Hopefully, it kind of stays that way. 232-1542, if you want to call and be part of the program. Uh, we are looking at a... Uh, oh, man. Uh, there's no nice way for me to put it. It's doom. It's It's doom. That's what it is. Doom, despair, whatever you want to say. The New York Times Siena, uh, Siena College poll came out today. Um, Joe Biden's approval, 33%. Disapproval, 60%. Also coming out in a poll of likely voters from Rasmussen. 37% approval, 61% disapproval. Uh, Harvard-Harris poll, 38% approval, 57% disapproval. Emerson, one of the closer ones, that's not too much of an outlier, uh, 40% approval, 53% disapproval. And that is not the bad news. If you take out, I think, just one poll, which is a poll of 1,600 Americans, not even voters, it's just 1,500 or 1,600 Americans, you take out that poll, which has uh, Biden only down nine points in approval, you take that one out, Biden's average is over a 20-point spread, disapproval to approval. If you take out that one poll, 57.6% disapprove. 37.4% approve. That's a spread. He's underwater 20.2 points. And again, that's not even the bad news. So what is the bad news? Two-thirds of Democratic voters, according to the New York Times, seen a poll think that Joe Biden should not be the standard bearer in 2024. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of Democrats think Biden shouldn't run again. Which really sucks for the Democrats because there's nobody else on the bench right now. Only 13% of voters think the country is on the right track. The economy is the most important issue for voters this midterm cycle. By far. And you know what? Abortion? Chalking in at 5%? The Democrats are running on the following issues. Abortion and women's rights. Tying the Republicans to Trump. Health care, climate change, election integrity, voting rights, the Supreme Court, domestic terrorism for right-wing groups. That's their platform. Uh, let's let me look at this New York Times poll. Let's see abortion rights at five percent. Five percent of voters care about that. 
Uh, Republicans and Trump, 2% care about that. So that's 7% right there. Healthcare, climate change, election integrity, voting rights, and Supreme Court, that's all 1%. So that's another 5%. So 12%. And domestic terrorism, zero. The most important issues of the day for Democratic politicians make up 12% of the vote. The economy, including jobs and the stock market, make up 20%. Inflation makes up 15%. 35%. So almost three times what the Democrats are actually campaigning on. The Democrats are campaigning on a max 12% interest. And Republicans barely have to talk about it, and they're winning on the issue almost three times that. More than a third of voters, their most important issue is the economy and inflation and cost of living. So what are the next highest ones? The state of democracy slash political division. That can really go either way because both sides are really enraged about that. Gun policies, both sides care about that. The abortion thing, by the way, at 5%, you have to realize that split. There are some voters who abortion and... Pushing pro-life is just as important to them as pushing pro-choice and pro-abortion is to the left. So that abortion is split. It's not all Democratic voters. So probably even less than 12%. The Democrats are running on every issue not important to voters. The GOP is focusing on the two primary issues that voters care about. The economy and inflation and the cost of living. Now, one thing I am interested to see is that immigration in this New York Times poll is only at 2%. I think it's actually probably a little bit higher. But we haven't talked about abortion as much. The the uh, the tragedy with the unair conditioned truck at the border has kind of slipped our minds as we've looked uh, at the I mean the economy keeps coming back. You know, abortion fell off voter interest the moment Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer started going back to jobs in the economy. You know, abortion fell off in the Democrats' polls when they started talking to media outlets about how much of a problem Joe Biden's management of the White House is and how much of a problem. I mean, Peter Baker at the New York Times wrote a story questioning whether Joe Biden was fit for the job because of his age and because of the struggles he's having. The New York Times, a New York Times reporter wrote that. I mean, you and I bring that up at any point where, you know, we're, we're called stupid and we're talking about something that you know, you're not allowed to say in public. But now the New York Times can write about it. It's a clear signal. Biden in particular is toxic. But. It's not just Biden. The Democrats are in just as much trouble. From Politico today, there's some, they got a hold of some GOP internal polling. It shows Joe Biden's approval rating upside down in districts he won in 2020. In districts that President Biden won 
by nine or even nine or more points. He, he, some he won by double digits. The Republicans are now confident they can make a play and they may not be able to flip it, but they can force Democrats to spend money in those House districts. Biden is so toxic that the Republicans are looking at districts the president won by 10 or more points, including in Arizona, Connecticut, California, New York, Colorado, and Rhode Island. Even in deep blue Rhode Island, according to GOP candidate Alan Fung, people don't want Biden to run again. That's how much he's dragging the rest of his party down. So you know what? On that note, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we will have more of that here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. With you uh, until the four o'clock hour, then when we switch over to offsides. In the meantime, the news of the day is still this New York Times poll in particular, but all the polling is bad, mind you. A new Harvard-Harris poll and a Gallup poll coming out. All bad news for Biden. In the Gallup poll, just 33%, just a third of registered voters say Biden deserves re-election. 67% say he does not. Biden has the lowest level of support among voters for a second term of the last four presidents. That is Trump, Obama, Bush, and Clinton. And in the last segment, when I told you that abortion was important to 5% of the voters, the majority of the support for abortion is being propped up by uh, the 18 to 29 demographic the most inconsistent voting block out there, the young vote. That's who cares about abortion. And again, if you, you even trust that insofar as that 13% of the 5% who care about uh, abortion as their top issue, some of that is going to go to the pro-life vote, not just the pro-choice vote. You have New York Times, Siena, you have Gallup, you have Harvard-Harris poll, which came out and is brutal. The Harvard, the, the, one of the big takeaways from Harvard-Harris is the fact that a, a lot of voters say, yes, Trump is at fault in some way for January 6th. Now, will you please move the hell on? They don't care about January 6th. They've come to accept that, yes, Trump in some way is at fault here, whether it's encouraging the crowd, whether it's his own actions that the January 6th committee is pointing out, whatever it is. Yes, a, a, a large number of the voters actually think that Trump is responsible for something, but, but they want Congress to just shut up and move on and actually focus on the issues that they are really caring about right now, which is inflation, which is the economy, which is the job market which is a potentially upcoming recession. That's what the voters are caring about right now. The voters deeply care about their pocketbooks. 
the voters, by and large, do not care about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. There was a brief little bump in the polls, but that appears to be over now. That's gone away. You don't see that in any of the recent polls. In the week or two following the Dobbs decision, yes, it was important, but now it's gone by the wayside. And even even the media and even the Democrats are focused far more on trying to play up the economy and talk about the good things like the job report, like other things. They don't care. Or they know their, their viewers don't care about the abortion thing. They're trying to play up the one big drag on the Democrats in the midterms, and that's the economy, that's inflation, that's the job market, that's gasoline prices, all of this. Yay, look at what Joe Biden did. The gas price is going down again. They're still far higher than they were when he took office. And he took office saying that he was going to put a boot to the throat of the oil and gas industry. Remember that? Gas is sitting over on Ambassador, just above $4 a gallon. Great. Way better than it was a little while ago, but it's still awful. Remember back, back when it was in the twos not too long ago? The Democrats have to contend with all of these things. And the environment is bad for Democrats. The environment is so bad for Democrats that a Mehmet Oz or an Eric Greitens or a Herschel Walker could actually win in November. But the Republicans need to understand something. The Republicans need to understand with those types of candidates, you're spending resources to get a Herschel Walker over the line. Herschel Walker's campaign is struggling. The Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee is having to throw in some veteran campaign staff to Herschel Walker's campaign, campaign to keep him afloat. He's struggling on the trail. His, his staff has been extremely dissatisfied and has been leaking to the press. He's not doing well. Eric Greitens, if he wins the primary in Missouri, which sadly enough, it looks like he is. If Eric Greitens wins, there's a very good chance he loses. Mehmet Oz may be able to cross the finish line, but not without the Republicans' help, not without the, 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 the national GOP's help. And that's money that won't get spent in Arizona. That's money that won't get spent in New Hampshire. That's money that won't get spent in other places because they have to prop up candidates where we should be winning easily. A Republican should have no problem in Georgia. The reason Herschel Walker stands a good chance of winning, by the way, is that Herschel Walker's on top, at the top of the ticket. Now, why is that important? Because Governor Brian Kemp is really, really popular in Georgia. And people have to vote till they get down to Walker on the ballot. So they will vote for the Republican there, knowing they're going to vote for the Republican governor a step down on the ballot. That can, harry, that can carry Herschel Walker across. But Walker's not doing himself any favors. Eric Greitens is a sociopath, and all of his scandals will come right back out and force Republicans to just stay home. Mehmet Oz has been a Republican for 37 seconds, has held every progressive position under the sun until he decided to run for Senate. At the encouraging of Sean Hannity, who then convinced Trump to endorse him. Trump has endorsed Oz. Trump endorsed Walker. 
Trump blasted one of Greiden's opponents today on uh, One American News. These are bad candidates. These are bad candidates in states we should be able to hold on to. We should be able to take Senate seats away. We should be able to hold on to these states. But we can't when we pick bad candidates. And I just gave you all the numbers. Everything in the numbers right now, right now shows the Republicans are destined for a red bloodbath in November. Every data point suggests it. And in the House, they are running in deep blue districts. They are making deep blue districts competitive because Biden is underwater in those districts. But on the Senate side, Republicans are actually worried that they may not be able to flip the Senate. And it all comes down to candidates. The Republican Party, I said it last week about Louisiana, and I say it about the, uh, the national scene now. Republicans need to pick better candidates. Let's take our bottom of the hour news. When we come back, let's talk about what's happening in Sri Lanka and why that's important. That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Joe Cunningham here with you until four o'clock, then joining Shannon for Offsides at four. Glad to be with you all today. I, I just noticed this Headline popped up after I was getting the show notes and everything written for the day. So I didn't see it when I was putting the show together. Um, but over at the advertiser, Louisiana's U.S. Senate candidates post campaign finance reports. There's been a little bit of a shift in the money. Now, early on, Luke Mixon was not raising anything. He, he had zero money and Gary Chambers was getting lobbyist money from out of the state uh, thanks to his viral online campaign ads, stuff like that. But it looks like that money's kind of drying up for Chambers. He hasn't posted anything new recently, so there's not much for him to raise money on right now. However, it looks like the trial lawyers are coming together for Mixon. Mixon, a former Navy fighter pilot, this is according to Greg Hilburn at the USA Today Network, posted over on the advertiser's website. Luke Mixon, a former Navy fighter pilot and commercial airline, airplane pilot who has secured the endorsement of Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards, has taken the lead among Democrats in cash on hand with $584,252 after raising more than $635,000 in the second quarter. So he's already spent about $50,000. He uh, he's raised $1.1 uh, $1 overall. Chambers is stuck at 137,986, uh, 137,000, so almost 138,000. There's also a third Democrat in the race, uh, Citrita Steeb, who has raised almost 16,000. Now, to put in contrast, John Kennedy has $15.8 million cash on hand and raised $5.6 million in the second quarter. So, uh, Mixon might be able to put up a fight. Chambers, it looks like he's not putting up enough of a fight. His his gimmick seems to have run out. Now, I, I told you guys how Chambers could easily seal this, but he's actually got to be in the state. Remember, after his pot smoking ad, he started traveling around the U.S. Uh, to places where pot is legalized and started getting a bunch of pot lobbyist money from those areas. 
he hasn't really been in the state all that much. And it's showing in terms of the revenue he's raising. If he was serious about a Senate run or serious about building a statewide network, Chambers should be in the state. He should be going around and he should be campaigning. He should be trying to raise more money in the state, going out, glad handing people, talking to people, getting out into every black community he can to rally them to the cause. But he's not doing that. So instead, once again, the trial lawyers have lined up behind somebody, some generic, bland-looking white dude who, like Edwards, has a military record and wants to be the moderate in the race. And they're going to run him, and he's going to be the guy that goes up against Kennedy, and he's going to be the guy that, if they make it into a general election, Kennedy doesn't win outright in the jungle primary, then Mixon will get squashed there, too. That's the Democrats' plan. Okay? Now, on to what I wanted to talk about. There was a large portion of several talk shows throughout the country today talking about environmentalism, and in particular, many folks commenting today on Sri Lanka, small island nation just off the coast of India. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about Sri Lanka. Normally, this is the part, and I kind of did it a little bit there, where first half of the show, maybe I talk about something national, second half of the show, talk about something a little more local, the state level or something like that. But nope, we're going to go international with this one. Over the weekend, a massive protest invaded the presidential palace in Sri Lanka. This civil unrest led to the resignation of Sri Lanka's prime minister. That protest is calling for the president to step down. Why? Because the Sri Lankan economy is in shambles. Do you know what led to this economic crisis? Inflation was a part of it. COVID's a part of it. But COVID and inflation really just ripped off the band-aid of a rotting corpse. Sri Lanka was largely self-sufficient in most of its agriculture. It was self-sufficient entirely on the rice that it grew within the country. It had a strong banana uh, uh, yield, strong tea yield. Actually, the production of tea is the largest employer, the largest source of jobs in Sri Lanka. What happened? The West. Western idealism, Western progressivism got a hold of Sri Lanka. Do you know what Western progressivism did? It convinced the Sri Lankan government to ban chemical fertilizers. It has consistently convinced Sri Lanka that they need to avoid GMOs at all costs. They need to do all organic growing. Oh, sure, absolutely, you'll yield the same amount. Sure, 100%. Rice production fell by 20% in a matter of months when they banned chemical fertilizers. And the Sri Lankan government, when they saw what happened to rice, bananas, tea, all that... They had to go back and they had to undo parts of the ban, then revoke most of the ban, and then start handing out subsidies to farmers in Sri Lanka. 
many of those farmers didn't qualify for the subsidies for the, the cash grab. And now all of Sri Lanka, because there is no money, jobs are scarce, and because they don't have enough food, they're rioting. And here's the thing. Here's what you have to understand about all this. It's a global problem. It is a global problem. It's not just Sri Lanka. It is not just one little island nation that the progressives were wrong about. The progressives pushed this Western environmental ideology on the rest of the world, and economically, Sri Lanka couldn't handle the losses that necessarily have to be incurred. When you switch a major portion of your economy over to something greener. Over at National Review, Sri Lanka defaulting on its debt may just be the start of a wider financial crisis in the developing world as a result of worsening global economic conditions. The country had the disadvantage of exceptionally poor leadership and bad timing of the pandemic and the war in Ukraine, but poor leadership is common in the developing world and less robust economies are especially susceptible to bad luck. Countries that are economically connected in uh, con countries are economically constructed, connected in strange ways. In many cases, those connections only widely become known in hindsight after a crisis has made them obvious. When Russia invaded Ukraine, it caused two crises that you haven't heard as much about. Biden talked about one of them a little bit, and that was the production of grains. Russia, Ukraine, major breadbasket in the world. But that had a negative impact on the world markets, hit poorer countries, especially like Sri Lanka. But also, it caused a fertilizer shortage. And whatever fertilizer you could get your hand on, only get your hands on, some of it was banned in Sri Lanka, but there wasn't enough to help grow the yields back up after they were already plummeting. Countries, according to National Review, countries such as Zambia and Lebanon are already in the grip of crises and are seeking international help. Pakistan's new government, meanwhile, narrowly averted a debt default in recent weeks. But there are signs, if you go and you pay attention to the headlines, there are signs that Pakistan could very much have a problem in the near future. And Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka's problem impacts portions of the world too. Western progressive ideologies put Sri Lanka in a bad position. COVID and inflation made it worse. Russia, Ukraine made it worse. But because progressive pushed a failed ideology, a failed religion of environmentalism on other parts of the world, developing countries are now suffering major economic losses as a result. 232-1542. Let's take a quick break. More when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL.
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the show. The, the Biden administration has a problem. They are constantly commenting on news stories that are overhyped publicity bits that don't really have any basis in reality. Do you remember the, uh, the border patrol story about the border patrol agents who were allegedly whipping, uh, the immigrants they were chasing down? turns out that was fake. That wasn't real. They were holding onto the reins, um, trying to guide their horses, trying to round up the immigrants who had crossed over illegally. The Biden administration was full on board condemning them. There was an investigation. They were cleared of any whipping, but because they made derogatory reports or whatever, they're still being disciplined. Can't admit they were wrong. Then there's a story that Biden said the other day. It's a story that no one can corroborate. Even the Washington Post, Glenn Kessler, who does a lot of work, carries a lot of water for the Biden administration. Even the fact checker Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post says, yeah, the story about a 10-year-old pregnant girl who had to go from Ohio to Indiana for an abortion uh, gives me serious pause. There are many red flags. And he, he weighed in on it. He uh, basically said, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that this is actually a story. Well, the abortion doctor at the heart of this story Caitlin Bernard, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, she is the source of the story about the 10-year-old. Bernard's claim, this is from PJ Media, sister site to Red State, who I work for. Recently, Bernard's claims about a 10-year-old rape victim who says she came across state lines from Ohio to Indiana for an abortion went viral, and the attention Bernard is now getting might not be the kind she likes. Some digging into Bernard uncovered that she is, has been in exactly the same kind of trouble before. The trouble being that she uh, either she did not report a child rape to authorities. See, you're obligated. If a 10-year-old comes in and is pregnant, that's rape. That child was raped. A 10-year-old cannot consent. You have to report that. And Bernard did no such thing. Some digging into Bernard uncovered that she's been in exactly the same kind of trouble before. Indiana Right to Life audited the termination of pregnancy reports that are public records in 2018 and found that nine abortion doctors allegedly failed to report underage abortions to the health department as required by law. Bernard is one of them. The state of Indiana requires that all abortions performed on girls under the age of 17 be reported to the health department. Now, either Bernard made this story up to try to get media attention, and it went so far that the President of the United States commented on a fake story. Or, Bernard didn't report that a child was raped and impregnated. If this story is real, which most people who are now reading the story and looking into it, they see the story's not real. There's lots of red flags. So the Biden administration weighed in on this story. Without the facts being clear, there's no names in any. The only person we know in the story is the abortion doctor. 
The only person we know for sure in the story is the doctor who has a history of not reporting underage abortions and child abuse to Indiana authorities. And somehow we're supposed to believe, one, that this story happened, and two, that this doctor, if that's the case, it did happen, that this doctor is repeatedly disobeying the law and not reporting when a child is sexually abused and gets pregnant. And yet, when the story blew up, and this is the infuriating part about it, when the story blew up, what was the comment everybody had? It is a damn shame that she had to cross state lines to get an abortion. She's 10 years old. Not, why is a 10-year-old pregnant? Nobody said a word about that. Nobody said a word about the fact that a 10-year-old was pregnant, and that is horrific, and we need to figure out what happened there. We need to protect that child. At that point, it's not about pro-life or pro-choice. It's about finding a child abuser. The best case scenario is that two 10-year-olds got together and had sex, and one of them got pregnant. The likelihood of that, way smaller than the likelihood that, in a, that a grown teenager or adult sexually abused that child. If this story happened. But that's the thing with stories that don't have a named party. Not saying that you should name a victim in this case. But when you're dealing with stories where one person's giving you a story and there's no way to fact check the story, then you can get away with completely ignoring that part. Completely ignoring the fact that a 10-year-old child got pregnant. Likely from some sort of sexual abuse. And this doctor, who is the one who leaked this story, who is the one that told the media this story, told one report of the story, and media all over the place blew the story up. And Joe Biden mentioned it in a speech. Nobody seemed to have had a problem when they were talking about this story because it fit their narrative. And the narrative is, we should legalize abortion because this 10-year-old had to cross state lines. Nobody was concerned about the fact that, holy God, a 10-year-old was pregnant. What happened there? And this, and this doctor either made it up or has a history of not disclosing underage children getting abortions, which is required by Indiana law. That's where we are. That's where we are right now as a society. We care more about access to abortion than the fact that an underage child, a 10-year-old child, was seeking an abortion. I don't know about y'all. I am very, very, very concerned about that. All right. 23-hour break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, check me out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the show notes on KPL965.com and check out the podcast of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back on with Shannon for Offsides. In the meantime, I'm Joe Cunningham. Talk to you guys again tomorrow.